Hello, Ruby Tuesday. Welcome to a new episode of the Football Ramble. It is Tuesday, 30th of June. I'm Marcus Speller. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Vidushina Hunter-Raja. Hello, everybody. Andy and Vish, good to have you, boys. Everybody keeping well? Everybody good? Great, thank you. Uh-huh, Vish? Yeah, yeah, very well, very well. I started the morning with my iPod on shuffle, and it kind of took me on a journey that I didn't expect to go on, so I'm very excited. Is there a day that you're not shuffling, Vish? No, no, not really. I've got, I'm a, <laughs> not really, no. I think you'll find I'm always shuffling. I'm a, I'm a really bad listener and accruer of music, so uh-huh. I, I kind of cherry-pick from albums, and oh, as yeah. a result, if I do get an album whole, I'll only listen to the two or three songs, and it, and then by chance I might come across an album track that are generally better than the singles, aren't they? Especially mm-hmm. nowadays. So, so what, what what was the journey? So it it's, it I started kind of offhandedly because I'm getting ready for the football ramble. So mm. I, did, I did World in Motion. Right. Oh, excellent! And I kind of set it off, and it took me to DMX, a bit of Destiny's Child, and I yeah, and from there it was just wonderful, a bit of Beach House, and blimey, that's sort kind of like, forgetting where I was. Yeah, you need, I, you I need Bob love Monkhouse to, to join those lot together. To, yeah, that's absolutely <laughs> incredible. I'd love to hear DMX on an England World Cup song. Yeah. Maybe that's the five percent England are lacking to get over the line in a major tournament. Is it, are we down to five percent? Are we? I reckon. Tell you what. It's pretty much a home tournament, the next one, isn't it? I didn't realise we'd improve that much. (laughs) i tell you what, though. World in Motion does date the England football team because it's so full of hope Mm. and joy. (laughs) And we just, we don't really have that anymore. Oh, but we had Gary Lineker up front in those days, you're forgetting. Yeah. And Des Walker at the back, come on. That's why there was hope, Fish. That's why there was hope. Um, You know, today, ladies and gentlemen, is the day that Alan Pardew's contract expired at Newcastle United. (laughs) How about that? Isn't that incredible? Yeah, that's uh, something. Yeah, stunned them into silence, ladies and gentlemen. Do you think he's marking that in any way? <laughs> I don't know. He would be if it hadn't have been a case of him getting a month's notice on being removed. Mm-hmm. Because but, I, I think he might think, oh, maybe I should go and get another job now. Perhaps. Because, you know, sometimes on your phone calendar, there's things you've forgotten that mm. you've decided you weren't doing anyway. And yeah. then suddenly they'll just pop up. What's he got, like? What get trained back to London? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bury, well, bury the evidence. <laughs> <laughs> How different it could have been, uh, Pete Donaldson. Um, but gentlemen, there was a match last night. It was uh, it was the Claret and Blue Derby, as it's uh, as it's not called. Palace uh, against Burnley. Obviously, Burnley won one. That was a good win for Burnley. Keeps their hopes of Europe alive. All dashing Palace's Vish. What do you think, Burnley in Europe? I mean, Man City, of course. If that ban is upheld, we could see Burnley back in the Europa. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible, really. They, I don't know how Burnley do it. I don't, mm. you know, I don't think many people have tried to explain it. And <laughs> Sean Dyche, in particular, has, um, has relished the fact that people often, you know, are waiting for them to fail. Really, aren't mm-hmm. they? Um, yeah, it, just a, re- a remarkable effort. And you know, for Ben Mee as well to score the winner after the week he had. You know, the way he came mm. out and um, made those comments after. That banner flew over at the Etihad, and for him to score, I think it was his 300th game as well. That's right, yeah. And then, for the club. And then you know, in his second um, pretty incredible post-match uh, interview, he mentioned about how his daughter was 16 weeks premature or something like that, and is now six months old. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, no, six weeks old. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, it's kind of a great day for Burnley and also for, for Ben Mee as well, who really does come across as one of the good guys. Mm. Yeah, it was a lovely mm. taking goal, Andy. Um, and uh, I mean, you mentioned Sean Dyche. Oh, actually, talking to DMX and Sean, I'd like to have him and Sean Dyche have a conversation. 
That'd be a sort of a, a gravelly That's a gruff. Yeah. You'd need to get some vocal zone You've... involved, wouldn't you? <laughs> At least featuring Sean Dyche. Yeah. Um, what, 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 do you, uh, what do you make of Dyche, um, all the chat about him potentially leaving at the end of the season? It's, it's one of those things that it takes a fallout to get us into this sort of conversation yeah. because he's so perennially underrated and he's seen as so part of Burnley, isn't he? He's, mm-hmm. he's never linked, really, with other jobs, despite having done an absolutely incredible job there. Do you think he's and underrated, do you? Yeah, I do. Do you, do you think he could? Because the, the, the chat would be he wouldn't be able to take those skills. I'm making him sound like Liam Neeson now. He wouldn't be able to take what he's got and then apply it to a different club who are equal or better or bigger than Burnley. Well, we, we don't know if he doesn't go to that other club. I mean, he's he's, he's been pretty much faultless there and... Mm-hmm. I think the interesting thing about Burnley at the moment is, you know, I don't think if you go back to before lockdown, you would look at them as like one of the must-watch teams on on the return. But you think of everything that's happening there, the fact that they're pushing towards the Europa League, but of course the way that, as Vish says, they've reacted to what happened at, at Manchester City, the fact that there's this internal conflict there as well between the chairman and the coach. I mean, I don't know if I go as far as to call them much watch, must watch, must mm-hmm. read about the day after, mm-hmm. perhaps. But there's there's a lot going on there, yeah, isn't there? There is. Even the way they've they've had this spat out in the open has been quite dignified. Mm-hmm. Certainly, I think mm. so. You know, Sean Dyche was asked about it, and um, I think it was it was put to him that you know it's, it's everyone kind of knows about this issue he has with the chairman and, and, and with the board in particular at Burnley. And he said, well, to be fair, I've been there seven years and to have only one one dispute in that time, I think that's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, there's a lot to be said for that. I, I think it's really interesting that it seems that the crux of the issues are around the finances of the club. And they're kind of, at a, I suppose, a, a breaking point here where he wants to take them a bit further, but they can't commit to mm. what he would need to take them a bit further. And I think it's quite telling that Dwight McNeil's the the player who's, I suppose essentially this seems to be centred around. And the reason I say that is because he's been touted for a move elsewhere and, and Daishi's kind of resigned to that fact. But it's interesting that some of the clubs he's he's linked to, as well as the top clubs, are the teams currently below mm. Burnley, including Everton and Palace, who they beat mm. yesterday. So it probably shows where where things are with their situation, that one of their prized assets has been a huge part of why they've had this run this season is going to go to a team who won't be able to replicate their kind of structure or their kind of ethos mm-hmm. in any you know knowing way. I always think when I when I look at some a situation like Dyson Burnley, it was a very specific situation, as you say. You know, he's been there for a while, and and he's you know they've gone they've gone down, but they've brought brought back up. And, and you don't know where one starts and the other ends. A bit a bit like Atletico and Diego Simeone. Uh, yeah, I suppose it's, it's so. hard to imagine Burnley. Post Daesh, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, although I wasn't going to say Simeone in Atletico. I was going to say Alan Kirbishley in Charlton, as I feel that's a better uh, comparison. But if you remember. Retro reference. <laughs> for the well, listeners. But you remember Charlton were in the top flight for years and they uh, had sort of varying degrees of success. But I mean, you know, if you think about where Charlton are now, I mean, I know they've been to hell and back with the owners and, and so on and so forth without getting into that. But uh, but under Kirbishley, and it was going, it, it, it was it, it was beginning to go bad under Kirbishley in terms of results and so on, so I appreciate that. But he had the club and he, and he kept them there. Well, Pardew was obviously there as well um, for a little time. And when Kirby left, if my memory serves me correctly, forgive me, Charlton fans, if, if I'm 
got this slightly wrong, but when he left it, that's when sort of Charlton, were, were they, they were dropping a little bit anyway, and then they went and we haven't seen them since in the top flight. And I would would fear maybe for Burnley that without Dyche, could that be the start of a bit of a decline? Stoke under Pulis would um, potentially be another one. Yeah, I, I suppose it's, it's a difficult balancing act, isn't it? Because he has been there an extraordinarily long time for... Mm-hmm. Um, for for modern coaching, really, and you know, you have even like even Klopp at Dortmund like ran out of ideas and yeah. ran out of road there, and you know he he's someone who is still mourned there to a, a certain extent. Yeah. They miss him, they miss his warmth, they miss his 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 personality as as well as the success. So, I think it is really difficult. But Burnley are in a really difficult zone anyway because they're one of those clubs that, as you were saying, Vish, have established themselves. I think beyond expectation I should correct myself because my memory suddenly kicked in I thought actually Mark Hughes did alright at Stoke after <laughs> so sorry about that but yeah carry on Andy I think you you get to that point where there is a very a very firm ceiling which you're not going above and, mm. and what what do you do after that I mean I, I'm sure I mentioned this before but you, you talked about Charlton I remember speaking to a friend many years ago who's a Charlton season ticket holder and him telling me he hadn't renewed for the coming season. I said, well, why is that? And he said, well, it's boring, isn't it, finishing in seventh in the Premier League every year? And like when you look at Charlton now, <laughs> mm. but it's, it's true, isn't it? Like yeah. if, if, you're, if you're Burnley or if you're Swansea, like how much further is there to go? And that is something that's accentuated even more in the modern Premier League where you've not got a big three or a big four, you've got a big six or seven. But my yeah, I understand what you mean, and I and I get that. But then, surely the example of Leicester City gives one hope that you can sort of kick on. That's, and, that's an outlier. That's not something I, th- that I think. All the time, still happen. Yeah, I, I think people need happen. to people need to look at that Leicester season and realize how many other teams fucked up. Mm-hmm. And yeah, with all, with all due respect to Leicester, that is how Ars- you know Arsenal are one side who should look at that season and think what what have we ruined here? Because it'll agree. be a while till they. They won the league, Vish. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not taking anything away from Leicester, but I think it's really important when we use Leicester as an example of how mm-hmm. smaller teams can do well. We look at how perfectly structured that Leicester side were, mm-hmm. and also how bad the other sides were. But I'm also looking at Leicester currently in in, in this season. You know, in in the sense that if you build and you hang on in there, you never know. But you they, get ne- more they were investment. never going to do it, were they? There well, was always sure. But going back to Andy's point about say Charlton or, or finishing seventh. Finishing being the seventh best team in England isn't a bad achievement, you know. But, but no, anyway. but that's that's not it, is it? It's not that it's a bad achievement. It's a great achievement, but it's how it feels mm-hmm. and the sense that you feel you should build on it. Or what, what you know, what what do you do? It's like when you've got to the end of a computer game. I I I, I, I do take the point. I just I would I would be concerned for Burnley, as I'm sure a lot of people would, if Dyche was to leave. Where mm, he would go sure. um, would be interesting. Atletico Madrid. <laughs> That would be fantastic, wouldn't it? I'm into it. Oh, yeah. Well, no one's going to turn around and say the football's crap, are they? Oh, come <laughs> on, Andy, come on. I do think that one thing that Burnley might be aware of is what's going on further down the table with Bournemouth. Mm-hmm. In that they, you know, Bournemouth and Eddie Howe clearly have a, a great relationship mm-hmm. and it's probably killing their Premier League survival hopes. And, you know, we mentioned Charlton and Kerbishley and when they parted, neither Charlton nor Kerbishley did particularly well after that. Mm-hmm. And I do wonder if... You know, while things are going well, actually, maybe this is the time that they do split when their stocks are both high enough that, you know, um, Daesh can yeah. get a job that he wants. Mm-hmm. And also Burnley can attract a manager that they want as well. And rather than, you know, have a bit of a dip, suddenly sack him when they're in the mire 
and have to, with all due respect to the work, you know, pull in an Allardyce out of nowhere. And, mm-hmm. you know, you see that teams do this all the time. They get into that cycle of, shit, we should have acted a bit earlier. Now we've just got to hire relegation managers and sack them this same time mm-hmm. next year and bring on the next guy. So look at West Ham and David Moyes. I'm, I'm not saying that guys should go. I'm not sure Burnley should, you know, point the gun at him. But if you're going yeah, to make a change when it's going well. And if he did leave, you know Marco Silva would be up for it. <laughs> you know, he'd be there. He'd be back, Andy. Marco Silva's agent is playing an absolute blinder at the moment. He was linked with a Benfica job mm-hmm. last week. And uh, there were stories in all the Portuguese papers the following day going, oh, there are a load of clubs in the Premier League and uh, Germany want him. You know, just just in case you wondered, Benfica, just in case you're hesitating, yeah. Benfica. They're still hesitating though, aren't they? Yeah, they're, yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're hesitating. Um, but uh, just briefly, if, if we can, go back to uh, uh, Palace versus Burnley. We've got an email here uh, from uh, Jack French, who uh, says he's from South London, Andy, which I believe you are as well. Um, a round of applause uh, from Mr. Brassel there. Goodness knows why. Uh, he says, Morning all. Uh, having watched Burnley versus Palace, I found myself wondering why such a fantastically talented man is so happy to waste away his career in the lower echelons of football. I get that he may be content to be a big fish in a small pond and that when people take the next step in their footballing career, it rarely works out. Um, but are you seriously telling me there's a man, woman or child in this country that doesn't want to hear more Ali McCoist? The Scottish <laughs> wordsmith is wasted on Amazon. At this point, I have him reading the bloody weather. He's got a point, old Jackie. He's got a point. What do you think of Coisty, Vish? Are you a fan? Oh, I'm, I'm a huge Coisty <laughs> fan. Yeah. I don't He's... think you're as huge a Coisty fan as, as Marcus. No, no. I'm yeah. not sure that's possible. <laughs> Marcus is, is calling the market on uh, Scottish pundits. Yeah. <laughs> It's got to like, isn't it? I so. just, as somebody put on the, was it Twitter or in the sort of comment section or something like that, they were just waiting for him to say, well, obviously, you know, Kazan's not been the place since Ivan the Terrible ransacked it since 1555, <laughs> or although he's come a long way since then, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, an enjoyable email um, from uh, Mr. French. Uh, gentlemen, can we move on? Um, something uh, a bit more sort of uh, serious and important perhaps uh, the premier league um are, are uh, the premier league the pfa and the efl have launched a new coach placement program aimed at increasing the number of uh, black asian or ethnic minority players making the step into full-time coaching roles the the scheme is open to bame pfa members of any age it will see up to six coaches per season being handed a 23-month work placement at clubs in the EFL. Those given placements will work in a variety of, of, of football roles at the club, most likely involving taking training sessions with different age group groups, sorry, uh, recruitment and analysis and administration. Um, I mean, Fish, what leaps to mind when you see this? you think this is a good step uh, in the right, the right direction? Yeah, I do. I do, actually. I, I think it's important to also clarify that with regards to the people that are being brought in for mm-hmm. these roles, I think they they need to have a UEFA B license. Yes. Um, they need to be showing intent to to do a UEFA A license as well, and I think they need a an FA Youth Award uh, course or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a case of these are being kind of thrown about like sure. confetti. They're being given to people with genuine ambitions to get into coaching who are obviously already into coaching. I do think it's a very good idea. I think it's the type of scheme that people are very suspicious of because they see it as a way of just simply filling a room with people of ethnic minorities to make it seem more palatable to wider society. When actually it's simply a way of stopping a cycle 
which purely is perpetuated by familiarity, mm-hmm. no real kind of malice, whereby, especially in football, and we talk about it all the time when we discuss proper football men, people get jobs or they get opportunities because of, of who they know. Who they know. Um, Frank, always, always be aware when you hear someone described as a proper football man. <laughs> no, of course. I mean, I mean, you know, Frank Lampard is, is quite a great example. Harry Redknapp putting the call to Mel Morris, who's the decision maker at Derby County, and, and mm. got him that job. Now, obviously... Lampard was doing his coaching badges and things like that. And I don't think we need to kind of you know, stride into or bring into the conversation what would have happened if Frank Lampard's black. Fundamentally, he had an in and he used it. And because so few players have moved or players from ethnic minorities have moved into administration roles or even coaching roles, you don't really get that. They don't really become part of that network. Um, football, we've got to remember, is one of the most meritocratic sports out there, certainly on the playing field. And it's just so that that doesn't translate to mm-hmm. when you move further on in the game. So a scheme like this does, well, I, I think it's very useful, not least because even on a purely football sense, mm-hmm. you're going to open yourself up to so many more well, that, playing pools yeah. as well. And you've also got to bear in mind, and you know, Andy, you're from South London. I was born and raised in West London. I've seen kind of schemes in, in Leicester in Nottingham and around the country. There are a lot of minority ethnic coaches in youth football. Yeah. Loads. And there are loads of really incredible schemes, especially in South London, for, I suppose, not just, you know, taking football to disadvantaged areas, but also giving these coaches opportunities to coach. Mm-hmm. And so something like this, I don't think is a bad thing at all. I think we saw in 2018 as well, there was a scheme whereby um, these kind of coaches were given placements with the England team as well. And I think stuff like that is is only going to, only going to benefit English football as a whole in general. And so I, I suppose to, to sum up, it's a very good scheme. And I think people need to realise it's, it's not so much about, you know, any you know, easing kind of racial tensions or anything like that. It is purely about giving everyone a fair chance. Well, this is it, Andy. It makes sense, actually, because, you, you know, we see in so many areas of society, you know, you know what it's like if you're, if you're trying to get into the media, you're trying to, you know, a lot of creative industries, the yeah. old adage, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And that is evident in the world of football management. So actually, when you're saying, well, actually, you know, we're going to try and actually, uh, as official says, you know, break into new ground here, it makes sense. This is actually discovering new talent. Say, no, we, we will have better talent, potentially, and better uh, opportunities for people to become manager. Because actually, if you take the whole thing, England is not a country that's producing good managers at the moment. No, that's right. And I think, though, um, the wording's quite interesting. Um, for me, it feels like a start, but just a start for mm. the moment. We, we, we have to see how it, it, it pans out because um, even if it does cover a 23-month work placement, you know, it is it is paid work experience. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's what we're looking at at, at at the moment, and we're talking about it being in the in the EFL. So, where's the Premier League involvement in it? That's what I would want to know. Um, the, the interesting thing about it, though, is where it talks about not just um, coaching, training, administration as well. And um, I spoke to Jason Yule for uh, Ramble Meets a couple of weeks ago, and what I thought was really interesting because, I mean, he's clearly keen to go on and take the next step and become a, a manager, as we, we still call them mm-hmm. here, rather than a, a, a head coach. But he wants to take on a, a senior first team. But he was saying he'd, he'd worked in, in administration and he'd um, got to know boardrooms and stuff. So he understands every mm-hmm. level of the club. For him, it's about creating a bulletproof case about, regardless of my background, you cannot not give me that opportunity 
because I've got everything covered. He's got like eight years of experience in terms of, mm-hmm. um, in in terms of, of of coaching at various age group levels. He knows Alan Kerbishley. <laughs> Alan Kerbishley. <laughs> you know, he, he shouldn't, and he shouldn't have to go through all that to get a chance. I think that's that's pretty clear. Um, so I think in terms of visibility is something that hopefully is 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 gonna work well. But it shouldn't be that everyone should have to be a Jason Yule, that you should have to create that absolutely irrefutable, you can't deny me because I know everything about this club and I know everything about how a football club works. Because that's not the case for every coach, is it? Mm. Yeah, it might even be be um, an opportunity for English football to look at itself and think, God, maybe we hang out, we hand out some of these roles too easily mm. to you know people who just aren't good enough. Um Obviously, that's a conversation that is unlikely to happen off the back of this. But, you know, the reason we are in this situation, the reason we have so many I suppose, subpar managers on that cycle, as Andy alluded to earlier, is that, you know, it's it's been so, or, the, or rather the, the net is, is so small and who's allowed through, uh, you know, the people that we, we've, we're we always used to. So kind of bringing in some, bringing in some new faces, bringing in some new blood in general will only be a good thing. Mm. Um, there was also calls from the PFA to address commentator bias, Andy, with some of the sort of adjectives they may use to describe certain players, mm. certain ethnic minorities, and so on. And we've talked about this a little bit on the Ramble uh, before, and I know other people have as well, where black players tend not to be described as you know intelligent or having vision and all that kind of stuff. You know, I think you should think of someone like Yaya Torre. Pace, power. Exactly, yeah. The word, the, the word the word monster yeah. used, used well, quite a lot. And they, these would be so take someone like Yaya Touré as an obvious example. I can remember at the time, you know, no one would describe him in the, in the way they would describe Sir David Silver or Kevin mm. De Bruyne now. Whereas actually Touré, intelligent, very intelligent player, Fernandinho, another one as well. But you talk about their physical attributes as well. It's funny that you mentioned Fernandinho actually, uh, Marcus, because I've I've interviewed him uh, a load of times from when he was back at Shakhtar Donetsk, mm. and um, he's he's a little bit guarded he's not that open i had to do um something with him for for television for champions league weekly probably i don't know six months ago something like that and um it was it was describing his his tactical journey Mm -hmm. and we got uh, a little you know one of those uh sandwich boards that you you chalk on outside a coffee shop and um (laughs) plonk like one of those in front of him and a couple of count, uh, uh, three counters, one for Brazil, mm-hmm. one for Shakhtar, yeah. one for Manchester City. Four, four, two. And uh, yeah, gave him a piece of chalk and said, could you draw out the pitch? Because it, it, it mm-hmm. looked really nice on the, on, on, the, on the filmed item that was going into the show. And knowing how reticent it could be, mm-hmm. I had like, like pages of notes thinking, right, I want to prod him about this particular bit about Shakhtar. Mm-hmm. I want to prod him about this particular bit about um, when he was at, uh, in, his, in his first season at Manchester City. And he took the chalk off me, drew a pitch, and it was unbelievable. I, I reckon in about 20 minutes, I asked him a, about three questions. <laughs> like, like, tactics is his thing. Yeah. And but you can tell that by the type can, of player he is. To that extent, uh, it's, it's, it's incredible. And when you make that point, about yeah, mm-hmm. black players not getting that credit. I mean, it's ludicrous mm-hmm. in the case of something like Fernandinho. You know, he is the general. You can understand why him and Guardiola click so much. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting when you look at it from the other point of view as well. One of the things that doesn't get talked about about Kevin De Bruyne is that he's actually very strong. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's his pace. Why he 
took to the Premier League well, so quickly. To have a playmaker that's that fast. Yeah. He scored a lot of Yaya Toure type goals, actually, didn't he, in his first season in the Premier League, where he just fly beyond the striker. Mm -hmm. And there you go. And if you, yeah, and if you look at a lot of uh, Yaya Toure's play for Man City, it was very reminiscent of Kevin De Bruyne, even down to his crosses. You know, Yaya Toure had this incredible ability to wrap his foot right round the ball. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which Kevin De Bruyne has exactly, but you yeah, and he's a Champions League winning centre back as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, um, but yeah, I always find that that's quite interesting when you. I think we we actually mentioned a, a couple of shows ago about the way that Daniel James and um, Adama Traore mm -hmm. were talked about, and you know, Daniel James is a headless chicken. Adama mm -hmm. Traore is close to the finished product. Yeah, yeah, if you kind of if you were blindfolded and heard the way these two players were described you think well only one of them's going to make it surely mm -hmm. only one of them's got all the tools um so yeah it's uh, it, it's a it's a time for reflection because i think it's something that people have been on for a while actually mm. um and you know paul pogba is quite quite a good example because you know, like adama Traore, he's physically quite striking i think it, it's um it's fascinating when you hear some of the french players talk about pogba because they always describe him as a basketball player they always talk <laughs> with a basketball player's physique yeah. but you know feet to die for and I think sometimes we, when we do, when we talk about players, we 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 find it hard to really com compute what exactly they do, especially when they're a midfielder, because there's so much to being a midfielder, and so we always end up with someone who is physically strong, just describing him as, as physically strong, and that is very unproductive, especially now where you have these footballers who can basically do everything. And Paul Pogba is a great example of that. Mm -hmm. And as was Yahya Toure. But then, as I say, when you talk about someone like Kevin De Bruyne, we don't actually really mention his physical attributes. The fact that he's you know, a bastard in the tackle as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it's hard not to put those two side by side and, and come to a very obvious con conclusion as to why that is. Yeah, I think also in this country as well, you know, we always prioritise the sort of the strong, the physical yeah, that's uh, true. and so on, you know, because actually if you were to go back uh, a, a number of years, Roy Keane's kind of physicality and his aggression was always talked about, um, whereas actually his sometimes his tactical awareness, his positioning and so on mm. wasn't. But it seems that, that we're kind of getting towards a better place with regards to how we view and how we value certain attributes of footballers. But it hasn't translated completely across the board, as we're saying here. Yeah, no, but, but if, if you're a commentator, and I know a lot of commentators are aware of this, and you've, you've got to be very careful about choosing your words anyway. And it's a very difficult job. I know that's, that's not a cop-out, and that doesn't mean to say, yeah. I'll leave the commentators alone if they use certain words. You know, everyone has to improve, but it, it is a really difficult job. You've tried it. <laughs> Go on, Bennett. <laughs> but I, I think... I think Commentary is something that is more closely analysed now because mm. you know it's, it's, I guess it's I guess it's like any any part of football media, you know that old phrase about you know tomorrow's headlines being tomorrow's fish and chip wrappers just doesn't count anymore. Mm. It's got a digital print; it's there forever. Yeah. So it's it's something that you know I've, it's it's like discussing things with with people who read your work or listen to your work on 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 Twitter, isn't it? It makes you be better because you know you've 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 got a directly interact with with the public and that's only a good thing yeah, absolutely right you've got to remember as well it was only earlier this year that a bbc football pundit when talking about some of the derby county players was you know described them as the young black lads not really you know putting in a shift not really mm. doing their bit that was i've, got, I've just got it up here actually it's 17th of february 2020 yeah. wow so yeah i mean that, that that's something that could have come out of the mouth of ron nodes <laughs> at crystal palace that's extraordinary blimey all right gentlemen 
Um, let's have a quick break, and then after which we'll talk about uh, oh a little bit of La Liga. See you in a moment. Welcome back to the Football Ramble, everybody. Before we go uh, to La Liga, a little mention for the League Two playoff final. Exeter going down 4-0 to those uh, impressive Northampton towns. 4-0, Andy. Um, Callum Morton seems to be having a lovely old time on loan from West Brom. He uh, scored his eighth goal for, for Northampton. He's, 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 he's having a good time. I mean, they 4-0 at a very... Si- they silenced Wembley. <laughs> you guys, people have been humorously pointing out yeah um and uh keith curl uh great work from him he's done a, he's done a fantastic job at northampton i mean northampton have have had some really interesting coaches in recent years of course chris wilder mm-hmm. really turned them around as, as as well so who knows where keith curl could uh, could go from here but i, I did feel a, a little bit sad about it i've kind of come sort of to terms with you know the, the the current state of things in in football, but when you get to a final at Wembley, mm. and there's I know there's, what you mean. There's no one there, and it made me think of when I went to the League Two playoff final in in 2016 when Wimbledon rolled over Plymouth, and I, w- I was watching the the potted highlights of um, Exeter Northampton this morning um, with, with my son, and I said, "It's like you know when Wimbledon played in that, there was 60,000 people there." He went sixty thousand people, <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, that's the thing you feel, isn't it? When you when you get to Wembley, and it's a it's you brought ten thousand a... of them along, didn't you? <laughs> 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 Not the bloody Pied Piper, you were. Um, yeah, I mean, but then it is a disappointment the fans are there. But I suppose, all things considered, they were probably quite relieved that they actually got to play the game in the end. Yeah, especially yeah. being two 0 down from that first leg in the semi final. <laughs> <laughs> well, the I was thinking about it from an Exeter City point of view this morning actually because you know would you prefer that it would be mm-hmm. the the absolute anticlimax to to get to that stage bring all your fans fans to Wembley and then get demolished 4-0 but I actually I think you know obviously feel very very sorry for him but I wonder if it's slightly easier to take because losing in the playoffs at any time is yeah, I know a what you horrendous mean. experience and I wonder in these circumstances is is a blow a bit softened because pick themselves up and go again next year because as you say this was this all was in doubt yeah think of Exeter City Andy come on they've suffered enough <laughs> crying out loud um, speaking of suffering let's go to La Liga Barcelona host Atletico this evening they need a win as they're now in second place of course they drew with Celta Vigo on the weekend according to reports there was a big old bust up in the away dressing room during this one uh, some of the players have been critical of Kike Setien's tactics uh, Luis Suarez said after the match that uh, the coaches were to blame for Barcelona's poor away form. <laughs> Love that. Um, he often blames others for things, doesn't he? Uh, two wins from their last six matches, um, uh, of course, Barcelona. But yeah, uh, oh, Kike's under a lot of pressure, Andy. It was really funny hearing Suarez say that, despite the fact that you know, Barcelona are in this hole at, at, at the moment, where he was going, yeah, well, you know, we're taking a lot less points on the road away this season. So, you know, the the the, t- the tactics of the coach's job, and I thought, hang on, I'm pretty sure you spunked a three nil lead in the Champions League <laughs> semi final away from home last season and the season before. Mm. You did a similar thing at Roma. I mean, I remember um, yeah. uh, what one one Catalan journalist journalist I think in El Mundo Deportivo saying um, last season. The great thing about this second leg at Liverpool is no one's going to talk about Roma anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's. 
a bit intellectually <laughs> dishonest of him. I think it's fair to say. I, I love the image as well of like Messi and Setien having this huge row in the dressing room afterwards because what they're focused on a lot on Spanish television this week is the cooling breaks. Now, mm -hmm. the cooling breaks, I know people have got their their views on them and say, oh, it takes the momentum out of the game, it's a waste of time, et cetera, et cetera. I always thought it was about hygiene and keeping bottles separate. So it's, it seems relatively sensible to me. And it's definitely welcomed in Spain where it's, it's, it's baking in some of these games Imagine as well. playing now in Andalusia. Yeah. I mean, it's bad enough in March. Yeah. Ab ab absolutely and that, that's that's why they're all at, at the dead of night not late enough I think they should probably be kicking off at, at, at midnight but what they're focused on particularly on, on, on Spanish television is during these cooling breaks mm -hmm. they're brilliant for seeing what sort of authority the coach has got who's speaking to who and Setien didn't come off brilliantly I thought to get a bit of eye contact from Messi, Setien's doing pretty well <laughs> after the way it panned out actually during the game at Balaios. But, you know, I think there are a, a, a certain um, feelings that are being pushed at Barcelona at the moment. It's like the fact that Antoine Griezmann got some stick for Iago Aspas equaliser, for turning his back on the shot, for turning round from the wall. He was going around the wall anyway. It, it didn't make any difference the way that Griezmann made an effort and tried to stop it. So, I mean, Kike Setien is maybe not the ideal Barcelona coach, not anyone's real ideal of a Barcelona uh, coach. Certainly coming, uh, yeah, that, that, that but, seems to be the case. But on the other hand, if you think this is where Barcelona's problems begin and end, I mean, you, you've not been watching the film. You've only just come in for the last five minutes because... A bit like Griezmann. <laughs> yeah. they've, 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 got, they've got issues at every level and the Artur Miralem Pjanic swap and it, it is a swap um, despite the creative accounting aspect of it um, that is really indicative of how poorly they're run and at, at the moment Bartomeu the president has still got a year to run of his term and you know they need to get rid of him they need to sort things out what do you reckon of Barcelona at the moment? I mean, one of the criticisms of Setien is apparently he's deemed too hands-on during training sessions. Of course, in the current climate, that's exactly what you don't want. But uh, but yeah, he's he's not done too well. Barcelona in second. I mean, what, what do you make of the, of the situation? I think it's incredible how the way that players and administrators are being talked about, especially the way that the players are, you know, maybe without them knowing, but essentially a lot of the people from the outside are blaming the players and I don't think they really I don't think they really get that because they think well you know I'm Luis Suarez you know Lionel Messi well you know we've, we've got this we've, we've done this before we've yeah. earned this club success whereas they just sound like Real Madrid from like 10 15 years ago it mm -hmm. sounds like an absolute mess and it's it's really interesting because we often talk about when teams are doing well we're, you know us on this side as journalists we're often the first to talk about the processing and what they have behind the scenes and how you know Masia and things like that and how teams are building towards something greater and this is at the start of an era of dominance and you realise that when teams are winning they can say whatever the hell mm -hmm. they want because mm -hmm. as soon as things go awry you get situations like this where from top the, to bottom the club seem completely rotten I think it, the, the Gugism thing was fascinating from the outset because even then it had the veneer of them building towards something and the fact that he was going to be their new focal point and then very quickly after that it became well, we could get Neymar back, couldn't we? And as soon as they yeah. started talking about getting Neymar back, you knew there was something up there. 
and I, you know, Xavi coming out and saying that he'd happily come in and I love that. But that that reads to me like someone from the outside who looks at the situation yeah. and 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 thinks, well, you know what, I can, I can, you know, I can pluck at these particular heartstrings mm-hmm. here because it happened before with Guardiola where they were mm-hmm. lacking a bit of identity, and he came in and obviously he was already in the club and, and knows the club well, but it it, re- it was a, the perfect PR move, wasn't it? Because it started to go sour under Frank Reichardt. Yeah. Brawl success. But with, yeah, with Xavi Hernandez, it's, it's interesting because he'd already been, he's already been sort of offered the job or, or there was, there was chats that he could take over a little bit um, previously. Please don't call him Xavi Hernandez. When you use the full name, it feels like he's being told off. Yeah, but I, I think, thought that as well. Yeah, yeah. but I, I, I think <laughs> I he might have... up in my chair. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but I think yeah, moving into the coaching, I think we're going to have to call him Xavi Hernandez. He's not the Xavi, the player. You know, yeah. in the same way, if Neymar well, went well, to coaching, like, we'd have to call him Neymar Junior. It's a bit like it's a bit like Guti, who got mm. um, sacked from Almeria last week. Yeah. The third coach they sacked this season. He wasn't having being called Guti as a coach. He's Gutierrez now. It's Gutierrez. Oh, I see. Oh. But yeah, with with, with Xavi. Uh, Mr. Javi saying uh, that he wasn't quite ready for the role. You know, this was in January, was it, when there was a sort of chat around around Javi potentially taking the role? I forget when. Uh, I think he probably thought to himself, "I'll just wait until the situation's a bit shitter, and then I'll come in because <laughs> you know I'll really wait for it to really get a little bit." And and if he is doing that, you've got to, you've got to hand it to him. Could you see? I mean, surely, Vish, you can see him going in there and taking over at some point. Yeah, absolutely. But you've just described him like the, you know, the bloke in like a detective drama series. He's just the last one in and every, it gets everyone else to clear out. Yeah. But he's it, just but, poking the body but, with a stick. But a bit like yeah, he's, he's been shot here. But a yeah, bit. he's straight in the head. <laughs> yeah, he's dead. Definitely dead. <laughs> Told you he was dead. Does it, isn't the thing with Javi, though, that he loves a, he loves a pound note? Isn't he really oh, you, it, really well with his catalogs. What, what past career move has, has, has got you to? Guardiola could be seen as yeah, that. Yeah, you is, know, yeah. There's a number of players. But, but don't uh, you think the whole problem with Barcelona, Marcus? I'm really interested to to hear what you, what you guys have to say on this. They're so wedded to the past, and that's been the whole problem with Griezmann that the cards are stacked against mm-hmm. him because he's from outside the magic yeah. circle and that's the thing they've been so deeply and a lot of I think global Barcelona fans they've been so deeply unappreciative and in many cases very hostile towards Ivan Rakitic mm-hmm. who has not just been a player who's been a brilliant signing for them because he had a huge role in them winning the Champions League in 2014-15 well, which was the last the time they won it absolutely uh, but like he's he's a player they've lent on, even when they've been trying to get rid of him. Uh, in in the last season, they've lent on him a lot this season. Mm-hmm. He came on and he scored the winner uh, against Athletic last week when absolutely nothing was happening. With and it really underlined why he's so useful for Barcelona because that goal you had Messi trying to get through this packed defence with the ball. Rakitic just steams in and goes, you know what? I'm going to Brian Robson this shit. It just goes through the centre, smashes it in the corner. And because he's from outside the loop, because he's from outside the magic circle, it's why he works so well for them. Now, of course, he's someone who has, has got a very um, varied palette. He's, he's got a, a great football personality because you think he's this uh, guy from a Croatian family who grew up in Switzerland. Um, then he went through this brilliant academy at Schalke and played in loads of different positions, um, then had this finishing school at Sevilla where he, he, he really clicked, and then arrived at Barcelona. And it's precisely because he didn't come up through La Masia why, why, why he's so useful to them. Mm. But you know what? Because Barcelona, and especially Barcelona under Guardiola, is this cult, 
it's beyond a brand, isn't it? Mm-hmm. There's this resistance to outside ideas, problem, especially at a time when things are going wrong. But the problem is, well, not the problem. The thing is, though, is that you know, we think of Barcelona having the kind of previous success as, say, Real Madrid have throughout history, and they haven't. We have seen their best years as mm. a club. I mean, yeah. phenomenal years, you know, in in, in this decade. Uh, under you know, even under Rijkaard, you, I would. I would want to bring him into that. But Can we think of the Guardiola years as the normal? But exa- like, exactly, like, no. Guardiola years, and then even Luis Enrique uh, mm. as well, winning a, winning a treble. Yeah. You know, th- these are like by far and away the best years of the history of this club, and they only happened a few years ago. So there's still that very very deep shadow looming over everything that they do at the club because of this. Yeah, and I think the Guardiola years, it wasn't just success, but it was exactly what they wanted mm. from a football team. And mm. that I can I can appreciate actually that from top to bottom that would be really hard to get over. Mm. So success is overrated. What you want to do? You want to be the seventh best team in your country, and then your jobs are good. <laughs> well, there's a lot, there's a lot to be said for that, isn't it? Well, you, you realise this. I knew I'd bring. I knew I'd uh, <laughs> get you to come round on that. But just a, a, a game that brings us all so much joy mm. is ultimately joyless because even you know the teams who seem to crack we're it, in the football ramble good night <laughs> the teams who seem to crack it the teams that seem to thrive in it are never mm. happy yeah. um, you know even just you talking through Rakitic's CV there I mean, you really struggle to see what what more they'd want from an outsider well. the thing is when they wanted to get rid of him as a make weight last, uh, last summer even though he's into his 30s now so many clubs were interested when they were trying to piece together this Neymar deal, and um, they were going. Barcelona were saying, uh, who were terrible at negotiating transfers, were going to uh, Paris Saint Germain. Well, I tell you what, we'll include Rakitic, and he's a weight mate of a uh, make weight of say sixty million euros. And Leonardo was okay, you know, because yeah. he's rated everywhere. Yeah, do you know what? That's actually a good point. Barcelona are underrated how bad they are at dealings. In, in terms of the transfer market, yeah. I mean, Coutinho, you know, how much but you go, you go way back to Zlatan and Eto. Yeah, it's, you can't just say it's the current regime. Sure, Henri wasn't a great signing, to be fair. Uh, but they did. But he was in that first season under Guardiola. That, that, fir- that first yeah, season, he, he, he did a lot. Yeah, and the season before that, he My- was an integral part of the team that applauded Real Madrid on the pitch after they'd won the title before they absolutely smashed Barcelona in the Clasico. <laughs> well, we're looking forward to them playing uh, Simeone's Atletico this evening. Andy, a side that you don't like uh, in terms of their Talking style. as of aesthetic beauty. <laughs> <laughs> perfect link, Marcus. Yes. You always have the perfect link. But that beautiful red and uh, white stripe with the blue shorts makes up for it. Yeah, and, and Diego Costa is is back to his most bastardish, can we say? I think we can. I think yeah. you have. He looks very lean now, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. He does. Yeah, he's all that anger is just it burns calories. That's how, <laughs> just the, leaner, the leaner he gets, the more angrier, angrier he is. That's how you can tell. Just sat, sat in his home during lockdown, rocking back and forth, oh, burning like, calories. <laughs> has he been flouting the rules? Let's not suggest that because it could uh, get us in a uh, hot soapy bubble. Um, uh, Andy, uh, the Bundesliga is done and dusted. Uh, you wrote a piece uh, this week saying that they seem to be quite relieved in Germany and they were quite pleased with what they've done. Uh, yeah, they are. Um, uh, it was interesting because normally um, when, you, when you have the title party mm-hmm. at the end of the season, firstly, there's loads of players going around showering each other in beer and uh, showering the coach in beer and all the rest of it, which is clearly not allowed in the current under the current hygiene protocol. So you, you had 
Bayern celebrating on the pitch, not even at the Allianz Arena, but on the pitch of, mm. of Wolfsburg, that most atmospheric of stadiums, the yep. Volkswagen <laughs> Arena. And, Say that um, as if we all know, Andy. It was, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, that it, it was it was a really strange title party. But normally, when the CEO of the Bundesliga, Christian Seifert, mm-hmm. comes out, you know what it's like when a dignitary comes out. Um, and, and and says something at a, a trophy presentation. It's like right, okay. It's it's kind of like the the second support band at a gig. It's like you know it's a clause that we've got to fulfil. Um, mm-hmm. you know we, we we'll barely put up with it, but you know let's get it out of the way. But it's interesting because of the hygiene concept with which the Bundesliga came back. The fact that Christian Seifert came up, and because the celebrations were relatively subdued, Seifert's speech was actually centre stage people were really looking forward to hearing what he had to say and he thanked um the players the clubs and the fans for as he said taking the first step to saving the 36 professional clubs of of germany now there are fan groups who will think that a finances are overrated and b he's exaggerating but there were clubs in in serious financial trouble who really needed this money to, to to get to the end from from the TV deal, and of course they're the first league as I think we said last week mm-hmm. to sign a, a post pandemic TV deal, which was a little cut on the last one, but they're pretty pleased that they've got more or less the status quo. I think they're losing what, 240 million off the previous mm-hmm. TV deal over four years. They're still getting 1.1 billion a year, which which is all right. I think they they, they feel in the circumstances, um, but. When you're talking about clubs having to rearrange and, and go forward, I mean, Schalke have already said, well, we're going to cap earnings for two and a half million a year for any individual player going forward. I mean, that is a major rearrangement of things, and especially when you bear in mind, Schalke, I never tire of say, saying it, you've got to understand they're an enormous club. They get 60,000 people in every other week. So for them to say that... Like a playoff final at Wembley when you're... Obviously- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so for them to say that, obviously it's a partial acknowledgement of how abysmally they've been run and, mm. and not just in this little period, but going way, way back. Um, but it is a sort of reality bites moment as well. Yeah. Is there a sense of pride from those in Germany, uh, not just how they've brought it all together, but... I suppose the leadership they've shown in football in general, because they've they're often you know referred to as as the one that really showed you know La Liga, mm. Portugal, and the Premier League that it could be done and how it could be done. Yeah, I think I think there is a little bit of that. Um, there's a definite feeling though amongst fans and players that we've got to go on and take the next step now. That can't be the end of it because fan groups, of course, but also players groups like the, the the players have formed a new alliance they say not to replace the current players union but to work in a sort of complementary sense with it it's led by uh Mats Hummels uh, Alexandra Pop who plays for Wolfsburg as well uh, she's involved i think that's a really great thing the fact that you've got professional players um in the men's and women's game getting together and going you know what in future this this hygiene concept maybe it was necessary in the circumstances and we'll put up with it for the good of football but going forward we're not just going to be told what to do when the game is reshaped and you know the fans feel that um, and the fans have formed a, a new group Unser uh, Fußball which is our, our football they're like football has to be 
um, more sustainable. It, it can't go on just being in a situation where it stops for two weeks and it's on the brink of a financial collapse. And the players are, are saying, well, we want to have our say in it as well. And where I think this is going to be really pivotal with, with the players is because, and Hansi Flick has, has come out and supported them. He said, look, the players need a decent holiday before next season. We can't just be saying, right, okay, we've got it back on the road now. Mid-September, we're off like normal. And he's already said, well, look, basically, he's strongly hinted my players are not going to turn out for the international games at the start of September because scheduled as they are, it's, it's ridiculous. They'll get about a week off. Mm. We all need a holiday, let's be honest. Has it been that bad over the last 45 minutes, Marcus? It's been quite fun. fun. Yeah. Um, no, that was not a so, comment. So, so rude. That was not a comment on your magnificent chat on German football there, Andy. Um, Vish, I'd like to end with this and I, I want to get your opinion on this. Um, Newcastle United are having a look at a certain Montpellier forward, 19-year-old Thomas Robert, available and a free this summer. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, the son of Lauren Robert. Thomas Robert, come on. Come on. What right. are you thinking? Some questions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one, is he any good? Can fact, he hit no, a free no, kick? No, it doesn't matter. Actually, that doesn't matter. That's, no, I that's don't think that matters. <laughs> Is he left-footed? I like to think that is passed down a generation. Oh, yeah. That kind of I, I like the idea that when he was in the room and he kicked, and like, bloody hell, right, that is your son. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also, because it's Newcastle, yeah. I would like to think, or certainly in my head, and I don't want you to correct me, but in my head, <laughs> there are two Robert boys. Is one, that a, is that a is good is, position for a journalist to be? No, I don't want you to correct me. It is in this day and age. <laughs> in my head, there are two Robert boys. One is... An absolute gun, yeah, better than his old man, and one is trash. Yeah. And I like to think, <laughs> and I like to think, in a in a moment of Keegan inspired inspiration, yeah, yeah, yeah. that Newcastle have plumped for the wrong one. I think you might be onto something there because I don't think he's made a first team appearance for Montpellier. He's, he's not played much football, and this chat very much is it has to be coming from his agent because apparently all the world and his wife are interested in signing this guy. He's like, oh yeah, we've got interest from clubs and you even brought in Scotland into it. You know, he's got some Scottish clubs. Same agent as Marco Silva? I think so. I really do. But I love the fact that they've put Newcastle at the top of the pile for obvious reasons. Well, you see, you see this with, um, with certain big stars, don't you? Like when Chelsea signed Eden Hazard, didn't they also get Dorgan Hazard as well? Yeah. Mm. Um, Donnarumma? Happened- was it Donna, I think Donnarumma at Milan. Did they not have to sign his older brother? I think. Well, yeah, well, they they, they did. Really they now? did. Yeah. yeah. When uh, when Blackburn signed Roque Santa Cruz, they signed his brother as well. Love that. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that'd be that's quite a good way in, isn't it? Just to have a, a more talented sibling. Yeah. Get yourself in there. Work for the Charlton brothers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jack got a World Cup winners medal out of it for crying out loud. There you are, ladies and gentlemen. Um, excellent. Uh, sadly, we we can't. Uh, we can't confirm at the moment whether Steve McLaren's going to be Dundee United manager this week, but my goodness. My I, I goodness. reckon he could do a good Scottish accent, actually. <laughs> Imagine if he does that. Yeah. That'd be excellent. So, uh, <laughs> come on, Dundee United. Do the good thing. The Dundee accent is a particular skill, as Marcus will tell you. It's yeah. <laughs> one of the great, uh, one of the best things to get a, a Dundonian to say is curly whirly. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> Look, I can just imagine curly whirly. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I don't think that was very Dundee. Winston Churchill's old stomping ground, of course, Dundee. How about that? All right. Do your research, people. Do your research. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, Jules, Pete and Luke are on the Football Ramble tomorrow. So uh, something to look forward to there. But in the meantime, thank you very much, Andy. Thank you. Thank you, Vish. 
Thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you very, very soon. This was a Stakhanov production.